are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Matt George from Locked On Kings. The Sacramento Kings are the number three seed in the Western Conference. What have been the keys to unlocking the number two rated offense in the NBA? How important is DeMontis Sabonis' role? And why has De'Aaron Fox been so effective in the clutch? Then we chat with Tony East from locked on Pacers. The Indiana Pacers have had seven straight losses in a row, coinciding with Tyrese Halliburton's absence from the lineup due to a couple different injuries. When is Halliburton expected back, and how do Halliburton's injuries impact what the Pacers do ahead of the NBA trade deadline? And lastly, we chat with Ryland Stiles from Locked on Thunder as it looks like the OKC Thunder might be play-in tournament bound this season behind some incredible play from Shea Gilgis-Alexander, plus how how has Josh Giddy evolved as a scorer and what's been the most impressive thing about rookie Jalen Williams? As always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Kings, Matt George. You can find wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube by just searching Locked on Kings. Matt, the Sacramento Kings, number three seed in the Western Conference, number two offense in the NBA. That's where we're going to start first. What have been the keys this season to unlocking this incredibly potent offense that we see in Sacramento? But yes, it is not a dream. The Sacramento Kings are in the third seed in the Western Conference, and we still have to remind ourselves that it's not a dream here in Sacramento, but we're enjoying the ride. Uh, Offensively, really, I mean, it all starts and it's all centered around DeMontis Sabonis, but I have to make this very clear. DeMontis Sabonis is not the best player on this Kings team, but he is the most important player on this Kings team. The best player, that title goes to De'Aaron Fox, and the reality is whether you're talking best or most important, neither of those two guys care about that conversation. All they care about is winning, and the Sacramento Kings are winning because offensively, for three to three and a half quarters, they're able to run completely through DeMontis Sabonis. Mike Brown and his coaching staff have established a system where DeMontis Sabonis can almost exclusively do what he wants. And Sabonis is so easy to play through because he's so willing to set up his teammates, whether it's uh, DHOs, dribble handoffs, which is all the, like most of the connections you'll see with Kevin Herter uh, come off of dribble handoffs or just the basic pick and roll, or sometimes with Sabonis pick and pop, he's also extended uh, his range a little bit. The three-point shot has slowed down a little bit, but it's significantly better this season than it has been in seasons past. So uh, Sabonis can do so many things. Plus he can score in the post and around the basket when he wants to, too, is a monster on the glass uh just came off the last week's uh western conference player of the week where he averaged a triple double missed a game because of a non-covid related illness came back and in a win over the oklahoma city thunder dropped a triple double in his first game back so sabonis is one triple double away from tying the sack uh franchise or rather sack era king's record for uh triple doubles in a season which is at six he has five right now Uh, he's definitely going to get that probably here in the very near future But everything for three to three and a half quarters goes through Sabonis. And then when it comes to the fourth quarter, when it comes to clutch time, De'Aaron Fox, 
uh, has completely mastered that role to where uh, Mike Brown's rotations are set up to where Fox is actually one of the first people to exit the game in the first quarter. Uh, he staggers his lineup so that Fox and Sabonis are on the floor. One of Fox and Sabonis is on the floor at all times. And then De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter is really where he he steps up. He's one of the most clutch players in the NBA, leads the league in clutch field goal percentage. Uh, and we've nicknamed it fourth quarter Fox because he steps up in major ways and helps the Kings win games, especially close games. So the two of them, plus a really, really solid supporting cast, has led to this just offensive outburst for Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, I love the fourth quarter Fox nickname. And just to point out the stats here, he's got 108 clutch time points in just 82.8 minutes. That's kind of absurd to think about how just Matt, how has he been so effective in the fourth quarter? What what is different for him this season? What's different about the Kings that is allowing him to be, I mean, so clutch? (laughs) Well, number one, he gets wherever he wants on the floor. Like, you cannot stop De'Aaron Fox from getting to his spots. And his favorite spots on the floor are actually the elbow jumper. Like, his mid-range game uh, is something that he's really worked on. And he showed off a lot last season, although it was kind of brushed under the rug with how bad the Sacramento Kings were. He is really elite at getting to his mid-range spots. Plus, you have to respect him so much with his speed and his burst that he has. Early on in his career, the first couple of years, he just used to rely on raw speed, so much so that at times he was a little out of control. Now he's controlled but has this burst to where if you decide to close out on him or attempt to stay in front of him or he can cross over or go past you, get a layup at the rim, plus his three-point shot is significantly better and he is a respectable three-point shooter to where you now have to gamble on allowing him the space to hit that outside shot which he is able to hit and has hit many times in the clutch or close out on him and watch and wave as he he goes right by you plus you can't throw as many doubles at him as you want to because DeMontis Sabonis is still on the floor with him Kevin Herter's in the corner Keegan Murray's in the corner Keegan Murray uh tied Luka Doncic for second fastest um rookie to reach a career like 102 uh three pointers or something like that like he like he's been a lights out shooter for Sacramento uh, on the perimeter, plus the additions of guys like Malik Monk. And Malik actually is really struggling from three point range this year, which is odd, but Malik's really stepped up as a playmaker. Like uh, Monty McNair, Kings general manager Monty McNair, has done a great job building a supporting cast that not only is good, is NBA caliber, but complements and supports the Fox and the Ox, De'Aaron uh, and DeMontis and the things that they do. Uh, so that it's all led to everything just working. This team is just working together right now. And that's what's exciting because they've only been together for a handful of months. Well, they, they've leaned into this this new identity, right? And you talk about Sabonis being the most important player to what they're unlocking, what they're doing this season. He's putting up, the averages are kind of crazy, 18.8 points, a league-leading 12.6 rebounds, and a career-high 7.3 assists. It's kind of crazy when you think about maybe some of the pushback that was initially received when the Kings moved on from Tyrese Halliburton, but now you look at the aftermath of this trade, and Matt, this feels like maybe one of the rare like win-win trades in NBA history where you're looking at what's Tyrese is doing with the Pacers. You look at how the success that Sabonis is having with Sacramento, and you're like, yeah, this kind of worked out for both sides. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk my you-know-what a little bit here because <laughs> the the way the response to this trade was absurd uh, from the very beginning. 
Because yes, I understand Tyrese Halliburton is an exciting young player. And naturally, no matter what the Sacramento Kings do, there's always going to be the level up. It's not going to work simply because they're the Sacramento Kings. It's going to be a failure. But how this trade was broken down by not just fans on social media who are always going to react in extremes on positive or negative sides, but how it was responded to by national media pundits, national media members who claim to watch Kings basketball, but yet never really do. And sometimes, honestly, I don't blame them. Why would you have watched Kings basketball last season or in seasons past? That being said, yeah, the, the Indiana Pacers got a phenomenal player in Tyrese Halliburton. Plus, Buddy Heald is playing way better for the Indiana Pacers right now uh, than he really played for Sacramento over the last couple of seasons. So I'm happy for them, and obviously they're overperforming, and I think that's fantastic. It's an excellent win for the Pacers, and even if they weren't playing as well as they were playing this year, I would have said they are set up beautifully building around Tyrese Halliburton. That being said, the Sacramento Kings got the better player in the trade. DeMontis Sabonis, there's only one man in the league doing what DeMontis Sabonis can do, and he is a back-to-back MVP with a good chance of being a 3 P in Nikola Jokic. Like, that cannot be ignored. DeMontis Sabonis is the foundation of everything the Kings are doing successfully. Plus, a huge part of that trade was unlocking De'Aaron Fox. And this wasn't something that we had to wait till this year to see. You saw immediately towards the end of last season before Fox got hurt at the very end of the year, and Sabonis got hurt as well. Like, we were starting to see De'Aaron Fox be able to play within himself again. He was able to be himself because he wasn't having to worry about sharing the ball with Tyrese. And one thing I always have to address is that there was never a disconnect or issue between Tyrese and De'Aaron. Like, that's a terrible narrative that if anybody brings up, they're just dead wrong. The two loved each other. They enjoyed playing with each other. They had a great relationship. They just never figured out how to play together. And maybe they could have a year or two down the road, but the reality is the Kings weren't willing to wait, uh, to wait that long. And clearly the Pacers weren't either wanting to move on from Sabonis. So yeah, this is one of the best win-win trades in NBA history. I'm thrilled for both sides. Both sides should be thrilled. And that's how we should talk about this trade. But those who broke down this trade at the beginning that said the Kings got absolutely fleeced, what the hell are the Kings doing? I hope that you at least have have the wherewithal to accept the fact that you are wrong and recognize that the Kings pulled off a phenomenal trade themselves. And in reality, because we're in Sacramento, because this is not a free agency attraction market and the draft has been unkind to say the least in the past, this is how the Sacramento Kings have to make their moves. Remember the Chris Webber trade that started everything good for the Sacramento Kings in the late 90s and early 2000s. Chris Webber didn't want to come here and the Kings had to trade Mitch freaking Richmond in order to make it happen. So History repeats itself sometimes. This is what you have to do in Sacramento, and it's been an absolute gold star. Can the Kings maintain a top seed in the Western Conference? Will De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis be all-stars this season? Of course, you're all just covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Kings. Matt, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Always a pleasure, Jackson. And I got to see your, uh, your Houston Rockets a couple of times in person. I'll tell you what, that Shangoon, man. He's an exciting young player, too, and and he, he got taught a few lessons by DeMontis Sabonis, but he also had a couple moments where I saw a nod of respect from Sabonis, too. So, I mean, the Western Conference is just exciting right now. There are a lot of great teams on the rise. I'm glad the Sacramento Kings are finally one of them. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. Coming up, why are things completely falling apart for the Indiana Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton? And when is he expected back in the lineup? How do Halliburton's injuries impact what the Pacers do ahead of the NBA trade deadline? But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. 
Next game, how about Luka Doncic to score more than 26.5 points? What about LeBron James to have more than 7.5 rebounds? Or maybe John Morant to have less than 8.5 assists? Maybe Steph Curry to have more than 3.5 three-pointers made? What is Price Picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their Price Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Price Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, you name it, they've got you covered over at Prize Picks. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe and offer incredibly fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKED ON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Pacers, Tony East, who you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Pacers. Tony, the Indiana Pacers now 23 and 25 after seven straight losses directly coinciding here with Tyrese Halliburton missing time due to a couple different injuries, elbow, knee. Let's let's start there. What What is the current situation with Halliburton? What's the timetable looking like? I mean, how much longer are the Pacers going to be without their, their key guy here? Yeah, on the 12th, uh, the Pacers put out that he'd be reevaluated in two weeks with a, a knee bruise and an elbow. Can I don't know all the words, but it sounds like the elbow is the worst of the two given the way it's been talked about by some members of the team in Halliburton himself. And then he just went on both a Valley sports, Indiana broadcast and JJ Reddick's uh, old man in the three podcast and said that you know, he's doing well. He, I think he's getting some sort of shots up in shoot around situations. He'll be reevaluated on. I want to say the 26th is the two week period from his initial date. And the hope is he's saying early February return. They have three home games in early February. The second they play the Lakers, the third, they play his former team, the Kings. And then the fifth, they play the Cavs. So, just guessing on what he said and their run of opponents and being at home, I would guess in that time frame. But the Pacers will hope it's as early as possible because boy, oh boy, do they look awful with him on the bench right now. And you got to imagine Tyrese Halliburton desperately wants to be back on the court in time to play his former team, the Sacramento Kings, given how well they are playing this season. But right now, Tony, where where are the Pacers missing Halliburton the most? What are I mean, these seven losses that there have been some bad losses in this stretch for Indiana. Where, where are some of the struggles kind of coming from without him? it's almost not underselling it to say everywhere, right? Like the, th the thing that they lose without Tyrese Halliburton isn't just you subtract his 20 points and 10 assists and try to fill it in elsewhere. It's that when you have a guy like that, who's one of the best, you pick your number, I would say three or five best passers in the NBA. Everyone else is now also worse, right? Like Buddy Heald is so good because he's really good at playing off of Tyrese Halliburton without Tyrese Halliburton. He's had some really rough games, right? He had two, he said two games with no made threes. In the last week, he had zero all season before that, right? Like he's looked really much worse. Aaron Neesmith injured Embar, two other starters have struggled to put the ball in the basket because they're not being set up by a masterful player like Halliburton. So everybody is kind of worse because it's harder for them to create good shots for themselves and for other people, but they're turning it over more. Their defense is taking a step back at basically the most inopportune time possible. And every game they give up a run that 
they just can't overcome a 14-0 run. And the first game of this stretch was, I thought, a blip. But every game, there's been one stretch, 10-0 against the Suns in a five-point loss in their most recent game where they just can't stop the run, and it ends up costing them. In fact, they've had a run that was the difference in the game in six of their seven losses, right? So it's not an exaggeration to say that every little thing has been worse without Tyrese Halbert because not only is he a master of offense who makes them better and makes his teammates better, but they score more, and so they're playing set defense more. So now they're playing transition defense all the time, and so it's just this whole ripple effect that has made them look really poor these last couple weeks. A gigantic ripple effect, if you will. I mean, so so in in this stretch, Tony, who is who is Carlisle kind of leaned on a bit more in the absence of Tyrese Halliburton to try and make up some of that production? Yeah, they they started Andrew Nembard at point guard for a little bit. The rookie who's been really good for being picked thirty first, and he's played on the wing for the Pacers most of their games. He's a point guard at Gonzaga in college, and he did he's done okay. His passing has been good. He can't quite get all the way to the rim or break down to defense enough to. Really fill the Halliburton void. They just figured out a little something against the Suns that TJ McConnell is their closest facsimile, at least style-wise, to Halliburton. I think that's going to be a permanent change until he returns. Uh, so he stepped up. He's been really good. He had his third career triple-double on Saturday. He had the best half I've ever seen from him. I mean, everybody in NBA Twitter was tweeting about TJ McConnell having 25 points in a half against Milwaukee earlier this week. He's been one guy who stepped up. Miles Turner's looked pretty good on both ends to the stage, but kind of everybody else is is missing him in some way. Ben Matherin's been forced to create a lot more because the point guards are overtaxed or are now starting. So he needs the ball more, and he's been doing a pretty good job. He just had a nice game against Phoenix. So those guys have been doing more, but not all of them have been doing better necessarily, except for I would say McConnell and Matherin have been you know, better than than expected in this stretch, and they've been needed to be. But the problem is that's only you know two, three players, not, not four or five or the six you'd need to step up if you want to not go zero and seven the second your star player gets hurt. You mentioned imagining kind of McConnell probably filling that void at least until until Halliburton gets back. I mean, what in your eyes right now, or is there anything else that can be changed or, or adjusted right now to kind of try and right the ship over these next couple of weeks, at least until Halliburton returns? Yeah, it's tough. Like they, They've tried to maintain a similar play style, being one of the fastest teams in the league, early offense and all this stuff. And at times they've been able to do it and look effective, but it's hard without Halliburton. I mean, as many things are. So I would almost suggest they they slow it down a, a tiny bit and go to like an average speed team to, you know, that just control your pace a little bit better. It's really hard to go fast without the guy who makes everybody, you know, in position and can understand what needs to be done in an early offense situation. But to me, it's been really simple. This not really simple. It's never simple without your best player. But, you know, they need to win the possessions battle. Right. Your offense, their offensive efficiency, their effective field goal percentage with Halliburton on the court is about 7% better than when he's on the bench. Right. That's a huge efficiency gap. So to make up for that, you have to give yourself more chances. You have to be better on the offensive glass and you can't turn the ball over. So you maximize the number of chances you have. There have been a few games just recently against Phoenix, against Atlanta early in this stretch uh, where they've done a great job at those things. And those were the two games that they were the closest to winning in this stretch. But in you know some of their blowouts and they've had quite a few in the seven game losing streak especially turnovers have been killer. Like they have to take care of the ball. They have to win the possession game if they're going to have a chance because their margin for error right now is basically zero. So they have to, have to, have to win the possession game in some of these future games. How does how do the injuries here to Tyrese Halliburton potentially change the approach to the deadline, which we're about, uh, you know, just about two and a half weeks out from the NBA trade deadline? Does it, I mean, are the Pacers expect, do you expect them to be buyers, sellers at the deadline? And again, how does the Halliburton injury kind of impact their decision-making process there? Yeah, look, I mean, if you're 23 and 25 
and your core two players are 22 years old and 20 years old, I think it's obvious what direction that would lead a team to go. But they've been so far above expectations and so good when Halliburton plays, right? I think the number now would be 22 and 17 when he plays, which is the equivalent of like a 46, 47 win team, right? I think they were on pace for the sixth seed if he plays every game this season, which he's clearly not going to. But you know, that's a good team. And so I would understand why they think maybe adding a player who's under contract for a long time now, if they can get him at the right price, has value to their long-term success. And if so, in that way, it makes sense to be a buyer if that player is going to stick around for a while. But in the absence of that sort of trade being available, and that's a very specific type of deal, you almost feel like they have to be sellers, right? You're two, two games under 500. You're They play the Bulls Tuesday. If they lose that game, they're 10th in the East. All of a sudden, it's like, you can't be 10th in the East with your two best players being under 23 years old and be really pushing your chips in to improve right now. You know, you have to take the long game approach to me with that sort of roster situation. I understand that Halliburton's good right now and you have to at some point put good pieces around him, but I don't think this season right now would be necessarily the time to do it. Can the Indiana Pacers right the ship without Tyrese Halliburton before his return to the lineup? Will they be buyers or sellers at the NBA trade deadline? Of course, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Pacers. Tony, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. You got it, Jackson. Thanks for having me. Coming up, are the Oklahoma City Thunder play-in tournament bound this season behind some amazing play from Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Plus, how has Josh Giddy evolved as a scorer, and what's been the most impressive thing about rookie Jalen Williams? But first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here, and we are really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets, guaranteed, when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlays. Right now, you can head over to FanDuel to take a look at who the NBA champion odds on favorites are for this season. Right now, the Boston Celtics leading the way at plus 390. The Bucks right behind them at plus 550. Brooklyn Nets and Denver Nuggets both at plus 800. Got the Golden State Warriors at plus 850. And then the Memphis Grizzlies rounding out the top six at plus 1,000. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Thunder, Ryland Styles. You can find wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On Thunder. Ryland, the Thunder sitting at 23 and 24 on the season, 7 and 3 in their last 10 games behind some amazing play from Shea Gilgis-Alexander, including most recently a game winner against the Denver Nuggets. I mean, we got it. Are, are the Thunder playing bound this season? What's going on in OKC right now? It feels like a distinct possibility right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we've all been waiting for that other shoe to drop this entire run that they've been on. It's been, oh, this East Coast trip, it's going to get them. They play Miami, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, in Chicago on a back-to-back. That that didn't trip them up. They went 3-1. and one. Okay, the Pacers, it's a trap game, two games uh, off, and then you lead into this Pacers game, then a tough West Coast swing. They might go 0-3. 
They go two and one uh, and, and beat the Pacers in that trap game and beat now uh, Denver after a heartbreaking loss to Sacramento. Whenever many people thought after that Sacramento loss, okay, they're coming back down to reality now. It was a fun ride, but you got that brutal, heartbreaking loss. And now they're just going to kind of roll over. They didn't. And you head back home now for three straight games. That's going to be tough. Again, Hawks, uh, Warriors, Cavs. It's going to be tough to play them. But we keep on waiting for this hot streak to end, and it's not really ending because it's all pretty sustainable. Shea's a star. Josh Giddy has now been a really good scorer for the past 23 games. I mean, that's a pretty large sample size for such a young player. They are meshing together very well, and then you're getting contributions from a lot of other players like Kendrick Williams, like Lou Dort, and like, of course, rookie Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. Well, first off, I think there's a matchup with the Rockets a little bit further down the pipeline. So don't you worry. There will be a tune-up game in there for you guys a little bit further down the line. Um, SGA has been fantastic this season. He's averaging a little over 30 points a night on 62% true shooting. I mean, what kind of stands out about the leap that he's taken this season to you, Rylan? What stands out to me the most is like not to sound like a homer, but it just it's so hard to defend him. The only teams that's given him trouble is Miami with that zone, which he turned the ball over 11 times in two games. However, it's it's not as though every team can just implement a zone. You can try to run a zone. It's not going to be as good or as crisp as Miami unless you make that your identity. And so far, no other teams have done that besides Miami to that extent. They've given him trouble. Memphis has given him trouble every time that he plays Memphis because they have such a roster full of long, lengthy guys that they can just pack the paint. And right now there's only Isaiah Joe as a shooter that can make you pay. So those two teams are the model to stop SGA. And those two teams are built a certain way that it's not as though these other 28, you know, 28, 27 teams can just join in on the way that they're defending Shea. Other than that, you can play textbook defense. You can even foul him. He's still going to make the shot. And, and, and it's just scoring at uh, the mid range and scoring at the rim that puts so much pressure on the defense. And right now, even this game against the Nuggets, the Nuggets did a great job. They switched Gordon onto Shea and Gordon did a really good job defending Shea, but he still hit tough buckets, including the game winner to ice this game for OKC. And the question becomes, can the Nuggets do that next year? Whenever you would be leaving Chet Holmgren in the middle, instead of leaving say Kenneth Williams in the middle, I like, can't, is that repeatable in that form that it's up SGA? So it's just, it's what's most encouraging is how sustainable this all feels and how it feels like, not only can he still get better just as an individual developing his game, but the team around him can make him better by giving him better shooters. Because whenever the Thunder do throw out the, the shooters that they do have on the roster, like Isaiah Joe, like trying to put Trey Mann out there, like Wiggins out there, it opens up so much for his game. We're going to add in a 40% three-point shooter in Chet Holmgren next year. You're going to add in, hopefully, a draft pick this year that can shoot. And it'll really give him space to flourish, and it's really helped his overall game. So the biggest encouragement is it's more than a hot streak at this point. It's been the whole season. And it's all sustainable that, that, you know, teams can't really take away from them. Speaking of shooting at this point, I mean, Josh Giddy was, uh, you know, for all the talent that he had, right? The shooting was kind of a big question mark last season. He was shooting 26% from three this year. He's up to 33%. 34% since the new year, right? Thunder hire, renowned shooting coach Chip England. He comes in and he, you know, fixes up the shot. The shooting is one part, but how else have you seen Giddy kind of grow here in his sophomore campaign? I know you mentioned previously there just kind of how the two-man game is evolving or how he and he and Shea are kind of able to play off of one another a bit more this year. Yeah, for Josh Giddy, it's so impressive to see him shoot this well because when you get down to it, he only had a few months to work with Chip England because you can't really work on your shot in the middle of a season. He's admitted that, Mark's admitted that, you know, you can't really just alter anything in season about your shot. Like in baseball, you can't tweak your swing in the middle of a season. And so it's been his shot selection 
that's led to his shooting percentage rising, as well as just naturally getting better and improving, obviously. But beyond that, he's become a legitimate scorer, and, and that's what's helped the Thunder kind of flip the switch because in the first half of the year, they were still a, a spunky, fun team playing these close games. But but whenever the fourth quarter began, after a great third quarter, whenever I actually played the whole frame, when the fourth quarter began, we all, uh, okay, how do they survive without Shea on the floor for the next five minutes? Well, now they're not just trying to survive anymore. They're, they're actually playing very well and thriving in the start of the fourth quarter, which then gives SJ the opportunity to come back to a five-point lead, a seven-point lead, a four-point lead, and then close out the game like the superstar that he is. And that all starts with Josh Giddy. He added a lot of strength over the offseason, which has now allowed him to realize, hey, I'm 6'8", I'm pretty strong. He goes to the basket hard now. He takes contact now. He uses his length to shield off defenders and get an open look at the rim. And he's able to be a scorer over these last 20 games that is someone the guys turn to to say, hey, stop the bleeding for us. Go get a bucket. Like, it's your time to go get a bucket now. We can't do it. And he delivers more often than not, and it's led to a lot of success. And then him and Shea found a lot of good chemistry together, which it was kind of unnatural last season. Now they fit more seamlessly, and a lot of that's just due to simply Josh Kitty becoming a scorer. I want to ask you about Jalen Williams here, but but first you got to clear something up for me. I, what is I, somebody told me this the other day, but I want the clarification here just so that everybody can understand moving forward. I, there's two Jalen Williams on the on the Thunder roster. What's the different differentiator? One of them is like J Dub, and one is J Will. Who is who? What's break this down for us, Rylan? Yeah. So whenever the Thunder drafted Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, it was funny that at J Will's watch party, which is Jalen Williams, the big man, at his watch party, his whole family erupts in excitement, and he's going, "No, this isn't me. This isn't. <laughs> this is a totally different guy." Then come to find out, he does get drafted by the Thunder as well. But when they got here for the introductory press conference, we asked him, "How are you gonna How are you gonna tell each other apart?" And just naturally, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara grew up with his friends calling him J-Dub. And then Jalen Williams out of Arkansas grew up with his friends calling him J-Will. And so that's been the way that they decided. And it still does not clear up things for casual fans that don't follow this team. And also for Thunder fans who do follow this team. Like there are people in my comments every single night that I know are watching the game every single night. And they still get confused on which one to call who and how to even spell Jalen Williams as they mix the two names together, call it spell it j-a-y-l-e-n it's it's still a complete mess <laughs> but at least they're both playing really well well and let, let's go to j-dub then jay williams from santa clara I, just what has impressed you about his rookie season to this point for the thunder it's been his maturity to me that 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 he kind of has such a high feel for the game as a rookie which guys kind of sometimes get overwhelmed or get big eyes when they get on the nba lights and his ability to fit seamlessly into an nba roster like there are nights where hey, we're playing the Spurs and there's no Shea and Giddy can't play all 48 minutes, obviously. At some point, J-Dub is the, is the next man up and he goes off for 25, 26, 28 points. That, that's been a case too. There's been nights where everyone's fully healthy and it's just not your night offensively, but he still finds a way to impact the game via being a switchable defender with his length you know, in his body, being able to get rebounds, being able to pass the ball as a playmaker and being able to just cut effectively. Like He just has such a feel for the game as a rookie that allows him to be a net positive uh, despite being so young, which typically is not the case for rookies. I do think that that narrative is a bit flawed because rookies typically play for either really good teams and just don't play on the floor at all or really bad teams and do play way too much and, and are exposed a bit with OKC. Whenever the whole team's young, 
everyone has to play. And so if you play good, you're going to be the net positive no matter your age as the Thunder are the youngest team in the NBA and the second youngest team ever ahead of only last year's Thunder team because they just simply had to get a year older. But uh, for J-Dub, it's been feel for the game, scoring at all three levels. And his defense is improving night in and night out because he's realizing how to use his length in the passing lanes, how to switch down low and defend at the rim without fouling. He's been really good this year. We talked a little bit about the possibility, right, of this Thunder team making the play in this season and, you know, kind of them taking taking a leap this year. And, you know, it's kind of a lot of factors at play allowing them to do that. But, Rylan, how do you weigh the benefits of a play-in, you know, play-in spot or a playoff appearance, you know, for a team as young as this Thunder team is versus the opportunity of bottoming out and, you know, kind of resting some guys, whatever, you know, tanking and acquiring another top pick, you know, in the draft this upcoming NBA draft? Well, just as a blanket statement, it's a win-win for OKC, no matter which way that they go. You can sell yourself on this being a fantastic year, no matter which direction the second half of the table turns. From my perspective on OKC specifically, they're not going to be able to get down to even the fourth worst record, which they were last year. You're hoping you can get down to like, if you do want to go that, down that taking route, you're hoping, okay, maybe they get to the sixth worst record. You're likely going to be seven or eight. And so at that point, you'd rather just let this team play in games that matter. Like tonight against Denver, the crowd was rocking. It was a half-court atmosphere. You couldn't just get out and pace and space, guys, like you have been so far during this hot streak. You really had to play half-court basketball and let these young teams experience what it's like whenever the other team actually wants to win. You can no longer be saying, well, the other teams are overlooking them. No, they're taking the Thunder seriously. The Thunder are just good, and they're able to win these games sometimes whenever they get in these competitive environments. So for me, I value for the Thunder specifically more so than any other team you know, in general because of their trajectory of draft picks and because of that they're going to have Chet Holmgren coming back next year, and Chet is like the prize of this rebuild, and he has not played a minute yet. If you can play even just one game, where you see how every player reacts to a playoff style. You see how Mark coaches in the postseason. If you can just play one play-in game, that would be enough. And if you get in, you're able, you have a team that you feel could at least get to that first round and do what Memphis did. And, and yeah, they might have lost in five games, but you played playoff basketball again, and you now head to the offseason where without any other moves, you're going to have Chet Holmgren, who was arguably the number one pick in last year's draft before Paulo leaped up there and Paulo's been incredible uh, as well. He was arguably well, on people's boards, the first overall pick last year ended up at number two. And more importantly for the Thunder in this case, let's just say that the best case scenario is bottoming out to six. If you lose in the play-in and you're at 12, as the Clippers did last year, whenever you lost in the play-in with the 12 and the Thunder, of course, had that pick to turn into the J-Dub, you can trade from 12 to 8 or 12 to 7. You can get back where you wanted to be because you have four first-round picks in 2024 that you you cannot possibly at all draft. You cannot bring in four new players next year. It is impossible because of how the roster is set up. So you can move from 12 to 6 or 12 to 7. So let this team play out however it does and see where you, where you land in the draft and, and how that all pans out. And also, if the Clippers continue to slide and they're in the play-in and you knock them out of the play-in, you have a pick swap with the Clippers if they land in, land in the lottery. So you can get their pick as well, depending on how this all goes. So like, there's just so many reasons to try to win and not enough reasons to not try to win because of how hot they've been. And because of the fact you just, you cannot win Victor or Scoot. And past that, it's a jumbled mess between who each team might you know prefer in these three through six spots. And you can trade up to, to some of those spots from like 12 if you lose the plan. Are the OKC Thunder going to be play inbound this season? How will SGA and the rest of the th the young Thunder core continue to progress this year? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Thunder. Ryland, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me.
Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.